Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Dr. Robert Rosenberg. Uh, we're going to be talking about sleep apnea, uh, CPAPs, and a device that's uh, called the SoClean. It's a medical device, which is a hands-free way to sterilize CPAPs to prevent infections. So, uh, Dr. Rosenberg, thank you for coming. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. So, so if you don't mind, if we can talk first about uh, apnea and the problems that CPAPs would help. Uh, you know, just as a primer for listeners. So, you know, can you define apnea and sure. CPAP and how do they work together to help a person sleep better? Sure. Sleep apnea, basically, the most common form is obstructive sleep apnea. In that form, uh, your airway basically collapses uh, on yourself during sleep. So when we go to sleep at night, we lose voluntary control over our, our muscles and our muscles of our throat. And in people with sleep apnea who are predisposed to collapse, either due to obesity, large tongues, there's any number of reasons, heredity. We have about 18 to 20 million people with sleep apnea, of whom only about 20% have been diagnosed. There's still about 80% out there who have not. And when you have sleep apnea and your airway collapses, your oxygen drops, your carbon dioxide levels go up, and your fight or flight system, your sympathetic nervous system is triggered. This constricts the blood vessels increases blood pressure, and puts tremendous stress on the heart and on the brain and even on the vessels to the kidneys. So this sets people up eventually for high blood pressure, for diabetes, and for a very high risk of heart attack and stroke because of the sleep apnea and because you're not getting any rest at night. Your body is constantly being stressed, whereas normally your blood pressure is 15 to 20 points lower when you sleep at night. With sleep apnea, it's just the opposite. And so CPAP machines are basically machines that generate compressed air. They splint the airway open. You come into a laboratory, and we, uh, with technicians in my lab, for instance, monitoring you all night long, we find the pressure that keeps your throat open while you're sleeping. And once, once we've devised that pressure and found what the pressure is, that's how we set your CPAP machine. And as long as you wear that machine all night while you're sleeping, your airway will not close down on you, and your oxygen levels should stay normal. And most people start to notice an improvement in fatigue and sleepiness in their ability to concentrate. Uh, some people notice they're far less depressed when they treat the sleep apnea. So these are all things that, that go into treatment and uh, the diagnosis of sleep disordered breathing. Um, yeah, I, you know, my dad had sleep apnea when I was younger. I don't know what it was, but he would stop breathing and he would go, and all of a sudden start breathing, you know, but he would pause for X number of seconds. Right. You know, so I, I know what it sounds like. It's scary. You feel you wonder if the person's going to die in their sleep. It's pretty crazy. You know? and, 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 um, and many of them do. Really? Actually, yeah, how often does sleep apnea lead to death? Oh, frequently. We, uh, people with sleep apnea, most people who have heart attacks tend to have the heart attacks uh, during the day after they awaken at about uh, anywhere between 10 and 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 10 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon or 4 in the afternoon. People with sleep apnea um, tend to have the heart attacks during the night. And unfortunately, in some cases, it's not not all the time, but in some cases, uh, this can also lead to uh, ventricular or cardiac arrhythmias and sudden cardiac death. So, so certainly, 
uh, people uh, deaths have been implicated that occurred at night in people with sleep apnea who were not being treated. So it's not common, but it's certainly not uncommon, and it is one of the risks of untreated uh, sleep apnea. Is snoring a precursor or an indicator that apnea is coming or is there? Snoring, snoring occurs in about 40 to 50 percent of men, maybe 20 percent of women, So, and certainly sleep apnea is not that common. Uh, but snoring is a symptom, especially if it's loud and it's habitual every night, um, that you might have sleep apnea. Uh, certainly, it, it, you can have sleep apnea, and people may not notice you snore, or you may be living alone, and no one knows if you snore, and you don't know. But usually, the overwhelming majority of patients who do have sleep apnea do have loud snoring, and um, and it's a precursor. Uh, it's it's another stage. Snoring in and of itself probably doesn't cause any issues, but once the airway closes down uh, and you go beyond snoring to obstruction, that's when you start to have the problems. Does snoring have the same causes as apnea, or are they different? No, a snoring you would you would have the sound of the snoring, but you wouldn't have the pauses. The pauses in the apnea are basically because the airway totally closes, and when you don't hear anything, usually what's happening is if if you had the ability to to observe them uh, more closely, you'd notice that their chest and abdomen are moving up and down against a closed airway, so you don't hear anything for prolonged periods of time. But that's when they're struggling to breathe, and then that that gasp you hear is when their airway, their oxygen levels have dropped so low and the stress of not breathing is so severe that they partially awaken and take a breath and then they go and do it all over again. Yeah, I know. That sounds like it's horrible. That's that's um, what it is. Yeah, my patients, uh, I'll demonstrate it for them and they'll go, yeah, that's how he sounds or that's how she sounds. Um, you know, I know that uh, people have to come into a lab for a sleep study, but um, it seems kind of counterintuitive. You know, if if you want to observe someone and how they sleep, you know, you ask them to come into a lab where they don't normally sleep and you hook them up to sensors and maybe they go to sleep at a different time than they normally sleep, a different bed. Is there any way to evaluate this at home and why can't we do that? Why can't we put like a, a sensor on someone at home and record their, their sounds and just figure it out there instead of them coming into a sleep center? Sure. Well, the sounds alone won't do it, and we do do home sleep testing. My my facility does a lot of home sleep testing as well as in lab testing. So the home sleep testing basically is it's more than a sensor, but it it, it doesn't require measuring brain waves, so there's no electroencephalograph associated with it. But it usually it monitors oxygen, it monitors pulse, it monitors airflow from the nose and mouth, and it monitors movement of the chest and abdomen with with very light bands uh, that are all all fed in to the hard drive. And so that's home sleep test. Uh, that's about, uh, you can get coverage from insurance companies for CPAP or for treatment with a home sleep test. Anything less than that, like just wearing an oxygen meter on your finger or having someone observe you snore and stop breathing, that won't cut it. So yeah, home sleep tests are very useful. I use them uh, frequently. They're contraindicated in some very complicated patients who have heart disease or strokes and there's some other reasons for not using home sleep testing but but we do use it a lot in people who we suspect have obvious sleep apnea and is there's no way to solve apnea by just sleeping on your side or sleeping on your pillow or anything right yeah no there's a something called position isolated sleep apnea wherein the person has almost no apneas when lying on any other in any other position other than the back. Now, we do see that, but it's not common. I'd say I see that maybe 5% of the time. And in those patients, 
we may recommend a trial of position therapy where they can sew a tennis ball into the back pocket of a shirt or they can buy the, some devices on the market that, that are sold that will prevent you from sleeping on your back. And so uh, in some cases, we actually do use treat the positional therapy, but um, it's not that common. Most people with sleep apnea, we find in the laboratory uh, that they they snore and they stop breathing and every on the left side, on the right side, on their stomach, and on their back. Huh. Okay. Interesting. So the CPAP itself, um, it seems like a really invasive type thing. I mean, I've seen people sleep with them. The air is, you know, being pushed into your mouth. I would, I would think you might feel like you're choking or your mouth would dry out. Like, what are some of the difficulties people have in adjusting to CPAPs? Sure. Uh, the new CPAPs are really, first of all, they're very quiet, number one. And number two, uh, uh, the masks are, they're all types of masks now. Little masks that go in the nose like an oxygen cannula. Some go over the nose and the mouth. So uh, we usually can find something that patients are comfortable with. The pressures are have been changed. Uh, there's machines that are auto-titratable, so you're not on a fixed pressure all night. The machine goes up and down according to your requirements. It monitors the status of your throat and your flow. Uh, we have ramp features where you can, when you first fall asleep, if you don't want to be exposed to the pressure, you hit a ramp button and it delays the onset of the pressure and the pressure builds up very slowly over a period of anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes. And as far as the dryness, we now have heated humidification systems and heated tubing, uh, which basically provide moisture throughout the night into the air so it's comfortable and you don't experience what people were experiencing 15, 20 years ago, the dry mouth, the dry nose, the nosebleed. So I'm not saying that everybody accommodates the CPAP because we, in my facility, we work diligently with people to get them on it and to get them acclimated. But the majority, we find we have a very high success rate and a lot of that is due to changes in the technology that people need to know about. Okay. Um, is, do you... Can you modulate how fast someone breathes and how deep someone breathes using a CPAP, and is there any benefits of doing so? Well, the C patients on CPAP will breathe uh, at their normal respiratory rate, okay? It's still it's not driven by the CPAP. All the CPAP does is it maintains a constant pressure in the airway to keep your airway open, but, you're, but you're, the depth of breath or the rate of breath will be pretty much what it would be anyway, and that's pretty much de determined by levels of carbon dioxide and levels of oxygen uh, in the brain stem. And so that's really what determines it. Uh, there are BiPAP machines that actually breathe for you when you, in addition to the CPAP, maintaining a pressure in the airway, when the person goes to take a breath while sleeping, the machine helps to inflate the lungs, and it actually makes the work of breathing at night much easier. Uh, but but the depth and, and, and the rate of breathing is pretty much determined by your own metabolic system and your brain. So there's no point in like gently <clears throat> gently forcing it, or I don't want to call it upregulating it, but you know, uh, making it faster or slower or deeper. No, no there, not unless the patient no suffers from no, not unless the patient suffers from some form of diaphragmatic paralysis, and we have to, uh, or they have very very long periods where they don't breathe at all. Then we will put in a time mechanism. Some of the machines will come in and breathe for you if four or five seconds has gone by and it doesn't sense any breathing. So there are machines that do that, but that's the rare patient uh, with severe neuromuscular diseases uh, as opposed to the average patient who does not need that with just plain sleep apnea. And with CPAPs, can you only sleep on your back or do they have new ones where you can sleep on your side? Oh, you can sleep any way you want. Uh, the mask swivels. Cool. It really, patients, patients sleep on their side, they sleep on their back. 
I mean, you could probably sleep hanging from your feet if you wanted to, but the bottom line is, no, you're not restricted. To, that's a, a, an old bugaboo. People are not restricted to sleeping on the back when they wear the CPAP. If you like sleeping on your left side or your right side, there's no reason why you can't. Very cool. So tell me about the SoClean. What is that, and okay. how does it help? Yeah. You're so clean. So clean is a really neat product uh, that's been out for about oh, seven or eight years. It uh, it generates uh, activated oxygen, which is really ozone, and so it, it's it's 99.9% effective in killing bacteria and germs. And the reason that it's important with CPAP is that it's a very effective and easy way to clean the machine and the hoses and the mask. So a lot of people get a little bit lazy. They'll leave the, they'll leave the water in the humidifier for a couple of days. They don't clean the hoses. You know, they, they have to go into the sink and disassemble everything and go through all of that. It becomes tedious to some people. But with the SoClean, you don't have to do that. There's no disassembling it. The mask and the hose goes right into the machine itself. The machine generates uh, the ozone or activated oxygen, which goes through the machine, the humidifier, through the CPAP machine, through the tubing, through the hoses, and basically kills off, like I said, over 99% of all bacteria and and uh, and germs that, that are formed. So the, the advantage of the SoClean is, number one, the convenience is phenomenal. You just put it in and take it out two to three hours later, uh, and, and you're done. And the uh, effect on infections, we see far in my practice, for instance, uh, people who use SoClean uh, frequently uh, uh, went to it because they were getting frequent respiratory infections. And then we see that they don't have the respiratory infections they had before, that the, the amount uh, of, of time spent uh, dealing with infections decreases. And, uh, you know, I think it's more than coincidental. I think it's the fact that they're, uh, they're cleaning their machine regularly and that they're using a, a process which is so effective as opposed to just using soap and water. Is the ozone running through the system on a clean cycle? Not when you're using the CPAP, right? Oh, no, never, never, no. Yeah, the ozone is long gone. It's returned to, the, to, its, to its native state of oxygen. Uh, that's why we, the, the cleaning cycle only takes five to uh, ten minutes. Uh, and but then there's a two-hour period during which um, you're not to use the mask or open the machine. You let it, you let, you let it stay. And after two hours, uh, there's no residual ozone whatsoever. Uh, but certainly, you don't, you don't breathe in the ozone, and the ozone is never being, gener- is never being generated while you're on the machine at night. That's, uh, that, that has been dissipated hours before you put your, masks, your mask on again and turn your machine on. So it was a good protocol to wake up, and as soon as you wake up, put on the cleaner so it's ready for the night? Yeah, you can do that. Most people, uh, just when they get up in the morning, they, 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 they go to the SoClean, they put their mask and hose in there, they attach the SoClean uh, to their uh, machine, and the ozone generates, and, and that's it. You can even set it on a timer. You can, there is timers that come with the machine. Some people uh, set it for 11 o'clock in the morning and it runs until well, one in the afternoon or whatever. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the way to do it. Um, and most people, when they first get up in the morning, uh, that's when they, uh, when they put their mask and hose into the so clean and turn it on and let it do its thing. What about uh, putting this on humidifiers? Well, you, it does, it, it cleans out the humidifier. Because the ozone, the ozone goes right through the machine and into the humidification chamber, 
So that's that's the beauty, actually, of the SoClean, because the major source of infection, we believe in, in many cases, is the humidifier, the, uh, the the standing water, or even drops of water you can't appreciate even after you've cleaned it uh, with soap and water. But with the ozone, it totally just sterilizes it. So so yeah, it it, it goes right through the humidifier as well as the mask and the and the uh, hoses that connect. So uh, if you go on uh, www.soclean.com, there are several films that demonstrate how it works. It's very easy to, to, to do it, and it's very effective. Well, I just, you know, humidifiers is, uh, I'm just like thinking here, you know, it's another market. I don't know how expensive the SoClean is, but if you could have a, um, a SoClean device that could work with a lot of humidifiers, it would just be another market for the device, and oh, I don't know. humidifiers think, need the help too. You know? I see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about that, then you, you obviously you know, that would be something that uh, uh, the people uh, in, in research and development at SoClean might be might be familiar with. I'm I only I'm familiar with the okay. uh, with its ability to sterilize the humidification chamber in the CPAP, and almost all CPAPs now come with hum, with heated humidification, and that's the uh, the nice thing about the SoClean is uh, it sterilizes it. Okay. So what do you find uh, are the misconceptions that potential patients have out there about apnea and about CPAPs? You know, have we covered them all? Or are there other ones that, you know, we want to bring up? Yeah, no, I think there's, uh, some some of the misconceptions are that the machines look like they did 15 years ago, okay? That they're big, they're bulky, they're noisy. Um, you know, uh, what they may have seen their, their uncle or their cousin or their father on. And the machines are not like that anymore. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is some people think that they can uh, wear it just a, a couple of days or three or four days a week. And that's not the case. You need to wear it every night to get the benefit to prevent the cardiovascular and cerebrovascular complications of it. Um, and then with the SoClean machine, it's so easy to clean nowadays. It's not, you know, it's it's easy to do so. So the care of these machines and, and making sure they're sterile and clean has become far simpler. But there's a lot of misconceptions about about sleep apnea. Also, people think that everybody who has sleep apnea must be obese. Well, no. About 30% of my mm. patients, the 30% of people with sleep apnea are not obese. They're thin. So, uh, and it's not just a disease of the of the obese. It, 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 it occurs in women after the menopause. They quickly catch up to men when they lose the protection of uh, estrogen and progesterone. And um, so it's a common disease. As a matter of fact, one recent study came out and showed that if you take people from the age of 30 to 70, an average of one out of four has sleep apnea. Wow. That's crazy. That's a lot. Is, so, there, anything, is, it, is there anything people can do to strengthen their throat? You know, I don't know. Well, you know, that's a good... Or... That's a, yeah, there, well, there was a couple of studies about people who learned to play the didgeridoo, which is, a, which is an Australian machine. They seem to... Uh, that was one. And then there, there has been some studies with people with very mild sleep apnea, uh, that uh, going to a speech therapist and doing uh, exercises for the tongue and the throat and strengthening the tongue and the throat may be beneficial in some people. So I have some people with sleep apnea and very mild, and, and uh, let's say they just can't tolerate the CPAP or they refuse to wear it and they want another option. So if it, occasionally I'll send one to a speech therapist. Uh, we'll retest them later on, see if it's really helped. In some cases it has. So, yeah, there is something to, and also exercise. We find that people with sleep disordered breathing who exercise um, seem to, the amount of time they stop breathing an hour drops when they exercise regularly, irregardless of whether they lost weight or not. So for some reason, there seems to be a relationship. 
Well, if someone's on a CPAP machine and they start exercising and let's say they start doing, you know, uh, lessons or strengthening of, uh, you know, their throat and everything, I don't know if they can get off the machine, but would the machine just work better for them if they're less, uh, if their muscle is toned better, if they're in better shape? Yes, it probably would require less pressure. So the machine wouldn't have to generate pressure that's as high. It's, It's similar to when people lose weight. When we have patients who lose significant weight, uh, the first thing we notice is that sometimes the pressure on the machine becomes too much for them because it needs to be lowered. And the second thing we notice is that with significant weight loss, if we retest them, um, sometimes they no longer have the sleep apnea. For instance, if you take bariatric surgery, and oh, the majority of patients undergoing bariatric surgery have sleep apnea. As a matter of fact, there isn't a bariatric surgery center in the country that doesn't insist on you getting a sleep test before they'll operate on you. Um, after patients hit their target weight, we find about 50 to 55% no longer have sleep apnea. That's okay. That's great. So, you know, there is, yeah, there are natural cures. I, we we, we, we try, try to encourage obese patients to lose weight. And one of the things we, we you, methods we you do to encourage them, and which is a truthful method, is we say, you know, if you really lose a lot of weight and we retest you, you may not longer have sleep apnea. Yeah, when you were talking about using it every night, I have, I've just heard anecdotally, a few stories of people that had a CPAP and didn't use it for some reason, and then they died. You know, so it's uh, it sounds like it is critically important once you use it to keep using it. Yeah, once you use it and you get the benefit of it, it's not gonna the benefit isn't gonna last if you stop using it. You're gonna go right back to where you were. Your blood sugar is gonna get high at night. Your blood pressure is gonna go back to to uh, skyrocketing at night, and the stress on the cardiovascular and cerebrovascular system will return immediately. So what people need to understand is the CPAP is not a cure. It's a treatment. It's like a blood pressure medication. If you stop taking your blood pressure medication, there's a good chance your blood pressure is going to start to go up again. Same thing with the CPAP. If you stop using the CPAP, there's a very high probability that your sleep apnea will return to exactly where it was before within the first night. That's amazing. So what? Um, any other interesting developments or what's new, what's coming for the world of apnea and sleep apps? Anything interesting or different? Uh, well, we do have... Um, uh, the, what we call the hypoglossal nerve stimulator, uh, which which uh, is being has been developed, and uh, it's not easy to get approved for it. But some people who can't tolerate CPAP or who you know and um, who have severe sleep apnea and require treatment to prevent uh, heart attack and stroke, um, there is a, a device that that's implanted into the chest wall, and it monitors your breathing, and it also sends uh, current to the hypoglossal nerve, which is the muscle that controls the, the nerve that uh, controls the mu- muscles of the tongue. And basically, when, you, when it senses you're breathing in, when you sleep at night, it gives a, a little electrical shock to the, to the hypoglossal nerve, the tongue protrudes, and it prevents the apnea. So that's something new uh, in, sleep, in sleep disordered breathing. Um, the other one is the oral appliances. When they work, they're very effective. And a lot of I have a lot of patients who, who utilize oral appliances. When they work, they're great. Unfortunately, they don't always work. The beauty of the CPAP is it's 100% foolproof. If you wear your CPAP, your airway is not going to collapse at night. What is an oral appliance? An oral appliance is made by a dentist, usually uh, trained in that. The, they take a mold of the upper and lower teeth. Um, the appliances are adjustable, and uh, you only wear them at night, and it brings the jaw, the lower the jaw forward. And by bringing the jaw forward, it brings the tongue forward, and uh, in many cases, that's enough to prevent your airway from collapsing. 
So you put it on at night, and it it it, it brings your your lower jaw forward, and then you take it off in the morning, and then you put it on every night. And for some people, that will prevent the sleep apnea, and a lot of people like it because it's non-intrusive, it's uh, non-invasive, it's easy to use, and it's and, and it's comfortable. Right, so I think I've seen it like the Snore RX. It's like a mouth guard that you bite that molds to your mouth. And yeah, those, those, don't, like yeah, yeah, those don't work for sleep apnea, unfortunately. The ones you get at the boil and bite stuff most of the time doesn't work. I'm not saying it never works. Uh, the ones made by a, a dentist who's trained, usually a member of the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine, uh, these are much more sophisticated. They're not boil and bite, uh, and the dentist literally adjusts it uh, incrementally uh, for you to prevent the apnea, and then usually sends the patient to a place like mine, where after the device has been brought forward to where the dentist thinks it's effective, we then test the patient to verify that it's working. And uh, a lot of times it does work. So when it works, it's great. Okay, gotcha. And then I, I forgot to ask you, what is um, considered uh, severe apnea? What is considered non-severe? What are some of the parameters that would show Good. up differently in someone? Okay, you know? Good question. Yeah, we well, you know, textbook-wise. Uh, it's determined by the number of times you stop breathing an hour. So, so five to fourteen is considered mild. Fifteen to twenty-nine is considered moderate, and thirty or greater is considered severe. But most of the studies have shown when you when you stop breathing over twenty times an hour, uh, that there's a rather high risk of heart disease, higher risk of heart disease and stroke in those patients. So those are the ones who are at greatest risks and and really uh, should be treated. That's not to say that even people with mild sleep apnea don't develop heart disease and other things as a result. But statistically, on the studies, it's a, a, at about 20 or so, we see a, a real significant increase in the incidence of heart attack and stroke. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to say it to scare people, but I also wanted people to appreciate you know, how bad apnea can be. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's very important people it's, understand that it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a silent killer. You're really not aware of it because you're sleeping when this is going on, and you're not aware of what your body is going through unbeknownst yeah. to you because you're not breathing. And the only indicator you may or may not have is you wake up tired or foggy or exhausted. But or your bed sure partner, if you have it. a bed partner or your bed partner. But otherwise, yes, you wake up tired, exhausted, have to have three or four cups of coffee to get going in the morning, find yourself dozing off in the afternoon, sometimes at work, sometimes at school, sometimes, you know, you start to notice there's a difference, may start to notice that your memory's not as sharp as it used to be. You start to think, oh, I'm 55, I'm 60, it's my age. No, it's not the age. It's lack of, lack of oxygen to the brain at night. That's easily reversible when we treat the sleep apnea. That causes some people actually get diagnosed as early dementia, and we find out they have sleep apnea, and they don't have dementia. Wow. How long do people, um, I mean, I don't know if you know, but how long do people typically have sleep apnea problems before they, they see you? Oh, I would say uh, it's getting better, but but it it's it's frequently oh three to five years uh, before somebody, a bed partner, a wife, a husband, someone brings it to their attention, and or as someone has heard about sleep apnea and says, you know, I think you've got this thing, sleep apnea. You should see somebody, and because it's dangerous, and that's usually what happens. Somebody somebody brings them in, or they finally got to the point where they have to admit that their quality of life has become so compromised by by their sleep apnea, their fatigue, their sleepiness, their inability to concentrate, that they finally say, okay, let us let let me get this thing checked out. Okay, makes sense. Um, and then how long, once someone has a CPAP, do they experience relief and start to feel better? And, you know, their, let's say their sugar levels come down, their other sure. markers improve? 
Yeah, most of the markers of inflammation improve within the first four to six weeks. So you'll see an improvement in uh, in diabetes. You'll see an improvement in blood pressure. Uh, usually in the first four to six weeks, the markers of inflammation that, that are, we find in the bloodstream of people with untreated sleep apnea begin to resolve. Now, as far as, as sleepiness, a lot of people notice an improvement within the first week or two to the point where truck drivers who have sleep apnea usually can get back on the road uh, after, about the, after one week or so of treatment. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 it's pretty quick. If someone is uh, not aware of their sleep apnea, you said that 80% are undiagnosed. That's right. How, how long before they, how long when they have it, Will they start to see more and more serious symptoms, and how long do yeah, it take until, until someone's uh, like in bad trouble? Yeah, um, that that depends upon the person. What we try to do is get them in before they develop the symptoms. But I have a lot of patients who've already had a heart attack, or stroke, or have poorly controlled diabetes or poorly controlled high blood pressure, who've had it for years. And if they had come in sooner and we treated them sooner, a lot of that could have been avoided, especially the uh, the cardiac uh, problems the uh, strokes, the pulmonary hypertension. Uh, so everybody's different, and it also depends upon how severe it is. So if you stop breathing 50, 60 times an hour, uh, there's a likelihood you're probably going to start to present with symptoms of heart problems, uh, atrial fibrillation, et cetera, et cetera, a lot sooner than somebody who stops breathing eight or nine times an hour. Uh, so it, it, part of it is the severity, but, but so there's no, there's no way to tell exactly how long it takes to develop the symptoms, but we do know that a majority of people do develop symptoms and signs if untreated. Is there, is there any low base level that pretty much everyone has? Does everyone maybe stop breathing once or twice yeah, an hour? Uh, or, yeah, or yeah, they do. They do, and that's not a problem. Uh, we, we feel you know less than five uh, times an hour is, is, is considered normal. Uh, some insurances will only, even if you stop breathing 10 or 11 times an hour, they may not uh, cover treatment unless you have a, a comorbid condition that's being caused by the sleep apnea, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, mm -hmm. cardiac arrhythmias. So, but in most cases, we believe uh, less than five, five or less is, 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 is considered to be normal for most people. And it also depends on what happens to your oxygen levels during these drops. If, you're, if your oxygen level just drops a little bit, no big deal. If your oxygen level plummets, uh, even with five or six apneas an hour, if your oxygen levels are getting down into the 70s, uh, then we take that much more seriously than we do the same number in the absence of significant drops in oxygen. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. And then, um, you know, there's the last question or so. What strategies yep. can people use, even though the CPAPs are much better than they used to be, you're telling me, which right. is great. Yeah, humidified right. and all that. Um, what strategies do you encourage patients to use to get them used to it as fast as possible and for them to sleep really well? Okay. Uh, first of all, best thing is to work with a board-certified sleep specialist. Okay, that's that's really important. Uh, or 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 a mid-level uh, who trained in a sleep uh, who works in a sleep lab, because these are the people who can really get you acclimated and get the pressure set properly. They understand the machines and so on. Um, we have sessions with children who end up who have to go on CPAP. Uh, we always bring them in for a desensitization session with some of my technicians here, and we work with them. And we do that with with uh, with our patients too. If a patient's struggling, they we always tell them, don't wait, don't don't come in after three months. As soon as you start to, if you're having trouble with the machine or the pressure or the mask, give us a call. Come right in. We're going to start working on it. And most of the time, we can resolve the issue. It it may be a different mask. It might be changing the pressure a little bit, increasing the ramp time, increasing the humidification. It's amazing how often 
when they do come in, we can solve the problem rather quickly. But they, what happens to a lot of people is they get a sleep study, they never see a sleep specialist. Um, you know, it's, 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 they're sent to a laboratory and by their primary care person. They, they leave it, they're sent a machine, the CPAP, no one works with them. And after about two weeks, they go, heck with this, I can't tolerate this, and there's nobody for them to see or talk to about it. Mm. And I see that okay. all the time. That's one of the main, one of the, I, I must see at least five people um, a week who come to us because they had given up on it uh, for just that very reason. No one ever worked with them. And the person that works with them is, what, a sleep therapist? Or is it the... Yeah, uh, well, in my laboratory, it, it, it could be me. Or I have I have a, a nurse practitioner and I have a physician assistant who are, who've been trained by me. They're great. Uh, we have... Uh, we have board-certified sleep technicians who work here, and they'll work with them. Uh, so we have a, you know, in a sleep center, we're called sleep centers because that's what we do. We deal with all of these aspects of problems with CPAP, and we have a myriad people who've been trained to deal with it. Well, all right, so that's that's one last thing I want to ask you is what, what makes people give up on the CPAP most of all? Like, what are the most common things that you have to help people overcome? Yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, there's a couple of things. Some people give up on it because they get an infection and they're convinced it was due to the CPAP, which is where again SoClean comes in handy to prevent that. Right. The uh, other, the other, the other one is that um, uh, people don't uh, see an immediate improvement. You know, they said, "Well, I thought I was going to be." You know, not everybody improves rapidly, so that's that's another one. And, then, and number three is uh, uh, some people just can't tolerate the pressure. Uh, they find it's too high. Uh, they don't know how to adjust it. They don't. They don't realize you can go to somebody like us, and we will be able to work with you and make it more comfortable. Uh, and in some cases, we have to ref- we have to uh, stop the therapy and and look at alternative forms of therapy. But the most common issues I find is that people uh, either in, they, infections or uh, the pressure is not comfortable for them, um, and um, and. When they come to us for those complaints, in the majority of cases, we're able to uh, rectify it. Is there um, what, what happens if you don't have enough pressure? Will you just continue to have the apnea, or will you then yeah. snore and bed? If the pressure is not not sufficient, you'll you'll have apneas through the night. And and the way we detect that is the machines have uh, computer chips called a smart card. And so when you come to a to a place a sleep center with with a you know sleep specialist. One of the first things we do is we download the smart card, and we can determine whether or not you're having a significant amount of breakthrough apneas. And if you are, we may need to bring you into the laboratory and readjust the pressure you need. Um, or in some cases, we can do that without even bringing you into the lab. But yes, if the pressure is insufficient, uh, you'll continue to have obstructive apneas. Everybody's, everybody has their own pressure that they need in order to keep their airway open. You can't borrow your friend's CPAP, put it on, yeah. and expect that his pressure is going to work for you because it may, it may not. Yeah, well, that's that's what I was asking. If the pressure is 80% of what you need, would it just turn into snoring? But you're just saying it's like either yes or no. Yeah, well, if it's eighty percent of need, you're probably going to end up with your airway collapsing. It's going to collapse, and we see it on the, and we see we pick it up very quickly on the on the computer chip that you're having a lot of apneas, and then we know something is wrong. Is there any way to uh, pulse the air if um, if someone's like sleeping during the night and for some reason all of a sudden the pressure is not sufficient? Can you pulse the air and go to a higher pressure for one breath uh, to wake them up or to you know, open well, yeah. up the airway. I mean, any strategy? Yeah, that's where, well, that's where auto, that's where auto titratable CPAPs come in, 
With auto titratable CPAPs, we set it, we set it at a pressure lower than you required in the laboratory and a pressure higher than you required in the laboratory. And during the night, the machine monitors your throat. And if it senses decrease in flow from uh, in your throat, it increases the pressure automatically. If it senses your throat's wide open for, for a period of time, it starts to drop the pressure. And so the machines are auto-titratable, and they basically, that's exactly what they do. They increase yeah. or decrease pressure depending upon the status of your upper airway on a moment-to-moment basis. Okay. And then um, one thing that occurred to me is, you know, like I tend to breathe through my mouth. Um, does the CPAP only work if you breathe through your nose or your mouth or both? Nope. Or like nope. that is the both. You choose? Nope. nope, doesn't matter because we have masks that go over the nose. We have masks that go over the nose and mouth. We have masks that go in the mouth only. So it, it doesn't matter. If you breathe through your nose or you breathe through your mouth, uh, we, that's one of the reasons to come into a laboratory so the technicians can pick that up on the night of the test, and they'll put the appropriate mask on you, uh, and then that's the mask that'll work for you. So if you're a mouth breather, usually you'll need a mask that goes nose and mouth. If you're just a nose breather, you could probably get away with a little nasal mask. That used to be an insult, right? They'd call you a mouth breather, right? Right. That's uh, one of the major causes of sleep apnea is most pe- many people are mouth breathers. Mm, okay. Very good. All right. Well, um, some resources then for, for listeners. So I know you can't treat the whole world, even though right. I would sounds like you'd do a good job doing it um so let's give resources of how they can see you and what areas you serve and then the so clean and then if they can't see you what should they look for okay well i mean we're you know my, my place is up in northern arizona we're in prescott valley with the sleep disorder center of prescott valley and uh certainly if you're, if you're in the northern arizona area and you want to be seen we'll be happy to see you uh resources include the american academy of sleep medicine you go online and you can find sleep specialists and sleep laboratories in your area throughout the country so that's an excellent resource um, online. Uh, SoClean itself has a very nice resource in terms of uh, discussing sleep apnea. They've got a lot of question and answers and, and uh, essays on sleep apnea. Uh, I have a, a website, uh, AnswersForSleep.com, that's seen by a lot of people. And you can go on my website, AnswersForSleep.com, and you'll see uh, discussions of numerous topics that have to do with sleep apnea and with sleep in general. And I've written two books, uh, Sleep Soundly Every Night, Feel Fantastic Every Day. It was my first book, and the second one was The Doctor's Sleep Solutions to Stress and Anxiety. That was my second book. They're both available on Amazon, and they answer a lot of questions about sleep and uh, sleep-related issues. All right, that's great. Well, Dr. Rosenberg, it's been a really, really interesting call, and I appreciate you coming. My pleasure. Have a great day. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.